The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to another special edition of Two Mr. P's in a podcast with me, Mr. P. I'm the other Mr. P. Welcome back, guys. We have another special treat for you this week. We've got a fair few sort of uh, chinwags lined up. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed the Rosie Jones interview that we did last week. I know myself and Adam, we absolutely loved it, didn't we? Yeah, she was absolutely brilliant. So inspiring and uh, hilarious at the same time. And yeah, we've had some really positive messages about it. So thank you so much to everyone who's listened. And there's another tree on its way for you. Yeah, so um, we've. I, I, it must be this time of the year because we sort of we have sort of been inundated with loads of requests. Um, yeah. For chinwags. Obviously, it's getting towards Christmas, isn't it? So I think. Plus, I think that you know the two Mister P's are players in the game now. You know, we're, 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 if you want to promote something, you get in touch with the P's. <laughs> uh, um, well, yeah, it's gone from us originally sort of trying to reach out to people to get them on to now in some ways having to sort of turn 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 people away. Like, oh, sorry, guys, can't fit you in. Um, no ID? Yeah. Sorry, not tonight, darling. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we've got a, a special um, chinwag with the author of um, the 13-story Treehouse series, Andy Griffiths, um, who is a really, really funny author. Uh, His books, I know they go, you know, there's loads of kids in my school that love those Treehouse story books. Um, I mean, how you get through 12, like how you write 12 of them, I I don't know, but he's... uh, He's managed to do it anyway, hasn't he? Yeah, um, he's a, he's a, he was a bit—he was a legend as well. When he was funny, you could tell. You know, he was talking about how he used to be a teacher, and he, he could tell he would have been such a mint teacher. Yeah, yeah. like the, the way he was talking about writing, he, he was taking me. You know, and you'll hear it obviously later in the app. But when he was talking about writing, you think all the faff we have to do. When he was just talking about get some it down, just get some it down, anything down. Yeah. Um, just yeah. the inspiration around the imagination, the creativity side of things, and the fact that he's then been able to take all of that and become this really successful author, where he was saying he literally writes like a ten-year-old. So Fantastic. they for you, yeah, Adam. <laughs> hey, you, yeah. two times, two times, Sunday times. <laughs> that's, well, that's yeah, I, I, I asked someone today. I asked someone how to spell something today. It's one of those words that. I think it was like terrifying. Yeah. You know, like obviously it's different than terror and, and all that kind of stuff. And I said to him, like, it's terrifying this. And then and then the teacher went, Haven't you written two books? And I was just like, two best selling books. <laughs> well check, baby. I know, yeah. You know, I don't need to write it freehand. Yeah. So um, so yeah, so unfortunately we only had about half an hour with him. He's got a very busy schedule, so he managed to fit it in. So um we are we are just recording this as a little bit of an introduction um because obviously with these chinwags um with obviously the time of us you know being so busy we're only able to fit sort of an episode in a week so um this is going to be that episode so it's not going to be a full-on episode but i just thought we'd give a little bit of a 
uh, an intro and just a, have a bit, bit of a catch up because obviously we didn't get an, a, a normal episode last week. Was it one? Was it last one the week before that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what is to also remind everyone that we are just over a week away from our last ever tour show of this tour. Um, which is happening in Newcastle on the 22nd of October. There are still some tickets left. It is, um, I, I think, at this point, the biggest show we've done. Yeah, it is. Am I right in that? But we can make it bigger. We, we can, can make, make it bigger, bigger, people. So uh, head over to the website, to mrpspodcast.com. Uh, there'll be a live show link there, and you can get your tickets. Um, now, yeah. I don't know if this'll, I don't know if this will put anyone off or whether this will intrigue people to come. But there is a special guest coming. Oh, is there? You don't need to worry about him. Oh, he's not allowed. <laughs> he's banned. He's banned. He's sneaking through the back door. Old Cockney John. He's banished. Um, he's heading to the tune. Yeah, so I think if you need a bit of light relief after what has been one hell of a half term... Um, yeah, get involved, get your tickets. So, uh, what else is new, Adam? What else have you been up to? Well, I turned 34 last week. Uh, appreciate all the birthday love. Uh, you put a post out, didn't you? Um, a lot of comments and stuff, and a lot of KFC comments, as there always are. It's a shame that that's what I'm known for. You know, just like, you've, you've earned the KFC, like, really, what, for staying alive for another year, even though that's all I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is quite the a... achievement for you, though, to be fair. What, 34? No, staying alive. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, no, it's a bit wounding the other day. So I was in school and uh, I had a new shirt on. Right. I had a new shirt and I was feeling good. I was feeling fantastic. And I walked into a class of youngsters, you know, really young. And, uh, you know, I was kind of strutting my stuff, walking around, lanyard swinging, just like, yeah, don't worry about me, guys, I'm here. And this one kid just went, Mr. Parkinson, do you have a baby in your belly? <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? You know, in like confidence is high. Yeah. It's like a football player when they're riding high and then suddenly they score an OG. Yeah, I was just, I was just wounded. I wasn't the same man after that. I was after like full fitness, and then you, you tear a groin. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it was just terrible. But um, yeah, I mean, it, well, on I, a I serious note, when's it you? Oh, <laughs> you're funny. You are funny. In fact, it's talking about like burns. I actually saw this on the the Facebook group just before. <laughs> it's made me laugh. I wore a little silky scarf around my neck the other day. One of my students noticed it and said, oh, I like your scarf. My mum used to make me wear them like that, you know, when they were fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute shade McGee, 50 shades. <laughs> and uh, yeah, congratulations in order for your first BBC Radio 4 appearance. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, again, thank you to everyone who was able to listen. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Obviously, we were supposed to do it together. Uh, something cropped up for Lee, uh, so I went solo, and it was it was it was different because something that big and and um, you know it felt big when I was there at Media City. It felt it to me when I was listening back to it. It 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 was like <laughs> I'm gonna put this. It was sort of. Everyone else was sort of university challenge 
And you were celebrity juice. I thought you were going to say you were just challenged. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean by that, though? I think, yeah. In in panel to like discussion shows, it was quite highbrow, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was very serious, which I didn't expect. And, And I had quite a lot of messages from people saying, oh, my God, couldn't get over it. Can't believe you told that story. Can't believe you told that story. And the messages I've got um, were so, so positive. And I I received a lovely one, actually, which I sent to you, didn't I, Lee? And I think this, you know, when we do this podcast and we always say this, you never realise kind of what you're doing, how it's going down. Um, But I received this message. It said, hello, I'm glad I heard you on the radio today. You said something that helped my daughter. She qualified as a primary school teacher in 2020 and her first job has been so bad. She has seriously considered leaving the profession. You said that if a teacher isn't enjoying working in a school, they shouldn't leave the profession. Just try another school as they're all different. She's taking your advice. Thank you so much. Um, By the way, she took me to one of your shows earlier this year, which made me listen to you on the radio, which, I mean, listen, for an overweight HLTA who's often covered in crumbs, to make that sort of impact on someone is seriously special. And um, yeah, thank you so much. And it's funny, you know, to all the listeners here, everyone always knows I want to impress ICU 2 Mr. P. I make no secret. I'm the younger brother. He's the older. He's always, you know, goody two shoes. I want to make an impression. I messaged him a couple of times going, because he was busy at the time of the radio, hence why he couldn't do it. And I messaged him a couple of hours later going, uh, have you listened to it yet? And it was like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Have you got to it yet? And it was like, no, I'll let you know. So I left it. And then I, and then I came up, came up, you know, message from ICT. I thought, here we go. Here we go. And it just read this. Just listened to you on BBC Radio 4. It was good. That was it. <laughs> I just, well, I was... I was expecting like, oh, bro, bro, you smashed it, bro. <laughs> that's just that's just uh, reminding me of something a kid said on the playground today because um, I was on break duty and this kid just came over to me. He's like, yeah, it, like, Mr. P, Mr. P, he's just stood on my shoes, man. <laughs> it just really tickled me. I was like, you don't speak to a teacher like that. What, what do you mean, man? Stood on my yeah. shoes, man. Um, it actually it actually happens. I I was stood outside the hall and the kids were walking into assembly and they were all going, Mr. P, Mr. P, Mr. P, like giving high fives. And I'm always like, yeah, go on then, you know. Uh, and then one kid went, yes, blood. <laughs> I went, no, no, no blood. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, how things were you anyway? You did well. You did well. I like, was uh, I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was it was exciting. It was there was a couple of bit, you know, a couple of stories where I was a bit like, oh, should I say that? But then I thought, you know what? Let let's turn it up. Let's go for it. And to be fair, I've had I have had some really really positive messages. Uh, so much so that one of the guests that we're going to have on next week, which is a very exciting guest, um, her agent messaged me and said, heard you on uh, BBC Radio Four. You were fantastic. And I was just like, oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. I was buzzing. And then I actually took um, this evening, I took my kids to a football game at a school. And uh, outside the school, a lady said, uh, excuse me, what's your name? 
And I said, you know, I had all the kids with me, and I was like, it's Mr. Parkinson. Beat the lanyard. The yeah. Lanyard. <laughs> yeah. Check out the name tag. And I was just like, uh, it was Mr. Parkinson. She was like, I knew it. I knew it. You're the other Mr. P, aren't you? And I was just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to usher my kids in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she was just like, and then she claims that one of my kids went, don't forget to listen to his podcast. <laughs> and I don't put my kids up to that. I don't even talk to them about it. So um, fair play for the old free advertising there. But um, yeah, how are things with you anyway, man? Uh, yeah, yeah, just nonstop. So been on the road this week. I'm just trying to think. I'm, I'm sure there was a few things I wanted to talk about, but um, might have to wait till the next step. Oh, in fact, no, because we're not going to have one next week. Uh did you did you see like don't rant too much about it? But the Ofsted leaked crib sheets. Um, no, I didn't see them. So basically, a little bit of controversy from ye old Ofsted. Uh, would you believe it? What? I know. I've you must a, be mistaken. I've got a couple of funny stories actually about Ofsted. Um, so the first one is over on Twitter over the weekend, I think. Um. Obviously, some some inspectors, offset inspectors, also work in schools. So are normally head teachers, executive heads, that sort of thing. And they were getting access to all the training materials and what were called crib sheets that inspectors were being given. And then they were passing it to their staff. So their staff were getting an insight into what Ofsted are going to look at. You know, even though Ofsted say they don't tell you what to do, but once you read these crib sheets, they definitely tell you what to do. And um is anyone else just sorry to put to interrupt that? Is anyone else thinking MTV when they walked into the bedroom and went, This is where the magic happens? Crib sheets. That's all I'm thinking. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> um their cribs. Uh so uh so anyway, so someone, little bit whistleblower from oh, yeah. one of these schools leaked some of these on, on Twitter. So there's a big uproar about how bad it is that some schools are getting an insight and others aren't. Mm -hmm. So luckily someone's been able to leak them all. So I did share them on my social media doing God's work. They um, they call him the bad boy for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Because and and for me it's purely the fact that you know I've said for I've said on a podcast so many times if if you um the one way Ofsted could help themselves is to make all their training materials, any training that an inspector gets should be freely available for everyone because then that stops the culture of the Moxted crap, which, you know, yeah. I, I, I have the snake oil, so I just can't stand it. Yeah. So that, that's, why I, that's why I shared them. But then the day after, I had this instant regret of, oh, I bet I've increased everyone's workload tenfold because I guarantee, well, I've not, Ofsted have, via, via me. Because I know there'll be schools out there that will suddenly all, oh, we've got to be doing everything on these crib sheets. Got, and that's just going to increase everyone's workload. So, yeah, that's been interesting. But then I was in a school. I got told about an offset inspection where after like, I was talking about green screen and I was sort of saying, oh, you can do all sorts of green screen. Like we did these uh, green screen news reports from the scene of the Great Fire of London. And then his teacher went, oh, well, we got pulled up on that by Ofsted. And I went, what? And they said, oh, we did these interviews with um, Vikings, like, like, you know, like an interview with the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, a, on an iPad. And the inspector pulled us up and said, um, that could create a misconception in children 
where they think TVs were around during the Viking times. Oh. To which the teacher said, well, no, because I've taught them. And it was just a way in which we could demonstrate our learning. Uh, if you speak to the children, they'll clearly tell you they know they don't. And the inspector was like, no, no. If it could create a misconception, I'm marking you down for it. And then I, I was like, I was like, you are. So how is that inspector? Are we all right using pencils? Because they weren't around during the fight. I mean, that level of absolute lunacy from his is one of the reasons why I cannot stand them at the minute. And they all need to, as I always say, deep down. I love it. I can't stand them at the minute. We've been doing this podcast for four years, every minute. (laughs) The thing is, for me, I'm not bothered about... No, I'm not against the idea of Ofsted. Like, there has to be a level of accountability. But the way Ofsted are going about things... So these crib sheets have been out in a week for a week. Ofsted haven't said anything. They've not come out and apologised. They've not come out and uh, explained themselves. They're absolute one of the worst things that's happening to our education system at the minute. And they need a complete and utter overhaul. Um, I mean, yeah, anyway. So I just thought I'd update you on that news because I know it was big uh, over the past week. And if you are interested in getting those crib sheets, if you look through my Facebook page, there's a link on on one of the videos. Uh, But please, if you do look at them, don't then take it back to your school and increase workload for everyone. Chill out. (laughs) Chill out. Just chill. We're nearly at October half term. But anyway, uh, by the by, let's get into the interview now with Andy Griffiths. Uh, anything else to say, Adam? No, just, um, you know, keep up the good work. We've not got long till October half term. Don't forget 22nd of October, start of half term. The two Mr. P's, the last ever show uh, or the last performance of this sh- current tour, um, which we're really excited about. And, uh, you know, really, really loving the positivity towards the Chinwags. We've got a couple more lined up. And then obviously we'll be back with, uh, you know, old school features and classic apps uh, very, very soon. But, yeah, thank you so much. And don't forget, uh, you know, if you're on social media, you know I see two Mr. P. But join, you know, follow two Mr. P's podcast on Instagram. I'm actually on TikTok now. I've finally, I've come to the, I've come, I never thought I would see the day. And I said to you for ages, then I go like, I can't, no, I'm not having TikTok. No, no, no. But now I'm on TikTok and I'm not going to lie. I'm enjoying it. Uh, and it's, uh, it's at Podcast Parky on TikTok. If you fancy a couple of, a uh, couple of laws, loads of podcast clips, loads of silly stuff with me and my daughter. I reckon in the past month, I've learned more through TikTok than I have anywhere else. If you curate your your For You page in the right way, there's so much good stuff out there. Like the amount of ideas I've got for my training from seeing stuff through TikTok, it's it's madness. Uh, Another thing I saw through TikTok actually, which I thought ruined my childhood or just ruined my, you know, my whole life has been a lie, was that someone had said that the opening line from the classic song, Don't Stop Moving by S Club 7, doesn't go, don't stop moving to the funky, funky beat, and actually goes, don't stop moving to the boogie, woogie beat. Now, I'll play it you quickly. Don't stop moving to the boogie, woogie beat. 
right? So, I've always grown up thinking it's Funky Funky Beat, Adam. Yeah, no, I'm 100% Funky Funky, because it's always like, don't stop moving to that Funky Funky Beat. Well, according to Spotify lyrics, it's Boogie Woogie. According to Amazon lyrics, it's Boogie Woogie. But then to Apple and on Google, it was Funky Funky. So uh, I made a little video about that and it caused uproar with a lot of people. Same as me, they couldn't get their head around it. And then um, I tweeted it to all the S Club 7 members. Only Bradley... hoping, to, hoping to hear back from Rachel Stevens. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Rachel, you can hit sweet, the DM. sweet dreams, my ICT. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on Twitter, I got a reply from Bradley, who was um, absolutely useless. Yeah, I was no going to say he's about as useless as a kick to the nads, wasn't he? Uh, he just basically said, "What did he tweet me?" Now he was like, "Oh, that would be telling." Well, that's what I've asked you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would it? This is it, please. Yeah. <laughs> so he tweeted something like, "Oh, yeah." Um, that would be telling, but can you work out which S Club 7 song was inspired by White Lines by, uh, what's it called? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head now. I'm trying to find the, the, the uh, anyway, Joe from S Club 7. Um, Joe from S Club 7 commented on my Instagram and she cleared it up with everyone. So I can officially now tell you all but it is officially funky, funky beat. So if you've had a restless, sleepless nights because of that, we've, we've, I'm we've sure there'll be fun. thousands thinking, "Thank you, I can rest easy now." Don't stop moving to the funky, funky. You no, know I actually had, I actually had quite a few teachers, or oh, I'm assuming teachers, quite a few people message me pictures from the original CD sleeve. You remember when lyrics were on? Oh the yeah, 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 yeah. So people have still got that's the insane. Seven album and had pictured the to, to prove it was funky funky. That's mad. That so is mad. Spotify, Amazon, sort it out because you're living a lie. <laughs> anyway, right. We'll love and leave you guys. Uh hope you enjoy the interview with Andy, and we'll be back with you next week. And we are delighted to be joined by children's author and comedy writer, Mr. Andrew Griffiths. How are we, Andy? Are you okay? Very good, thank you. Great to be here. Now, believe it or not, Andy, I don't know if you remember this, but we've actually met in person because you came to my school many, many moons ago. Yeah. Um, Debut in primary, which is where I work, and you were talking about... Now, it was one of the Treehouse books, but I cannot remember which one, because the one you're bringing out now is which one in the series? It's uh, the 12th book, 156-story Treehouse. So it's okay if you're confused, because <laughs> I'm confused too. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> he definitely doesn't remember you either, Lee. I know, yeah. Uh, it was, I'm, I'm oh, I do. Must be. You're the best looking teacher I've ever, ever met. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Andy, you were doing so well. <laughs> okay. That'll be clipped up for social media. Um, so before we go into the new book, 156-story uh, Treehouse, let's go back to the first one, which is 13-story Treehouse. That's right, yep. Do you want to just talk us through this world you've created, what it was all sort of based around, inspired by? 
Yeah, well, I guess it uh, it came out of working with Terry Denton, the illustrator, for the last 25 years. Uh, we've done almost 40 books together. And we were, we've just had a long, really great period to experiment and um, test things out on all the Australian kids. They were our lab rats. <laughs> and we've, we've, we've been through lots of different styles of humour. We started with the Just Books, which were all about... A, uh, an annoying practical joker kid called Andy. I'm always the main character. Uh, <laughs> it kind of helps me to tell the story if I feel I'm in it and I'm trying to get the reader to believe that this really happened to me. Yeah. Um, so a bit like Seinfeld being in his own sitcom. I figured I can be in my own book if I want. Um, <laughs> Why not? And the Just series got increasingly out of control. It was a little bit obnoxious. Well, a lot obnoxious, maybe just disgusting, just crazy, just um, shocking. Um, and then we sort of got some of that out of our system and we started writing together, meeting in a room every couple of weeks and just amusing ourselves and coming up with the material together. So um, there was uh, a couple of books in Australia called The Bad Book and The Very Bad Book where we just had nonstop mayhem and chaos and bad parents, bad children, bad animals. Everything was bad. Everyone was ending up dead or maimed or dead and maimed. Um, this sounds like the writing I get from my year threes. That's, you know, this, is partly, this is partly where I do get it from because <laughs> I was a high school English teacher and I've always been amused by how kids just pick up a pen, barrel into the story, no consideration about plot, plot likelihood, <laughs> or um, if there's a problem, they just drive straight through it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's mad, and I love the energy. And so sometimes I'm trying to replicate that energy, and also the energy I brought to story writing when I was ten years old too. It was just madcap. Let's just go. Um, so, uh, yeah, Bad Book was very much that. Me and Terry trying to work together. And then we, we went through a series of experimental books, fake nonfiction books, uh, Guide to the Body by two people who knew nothing about the body, um, <laughs> a guide to bummersaws, all the different types of uh, combined dinosaur bums that you would find, you know, <laughs> Tyrannosmellus rex and that was very juvenile yeah. but then we, we hit uh, this idea of the treehouse because I felt like whenever Terry and I would get together it was like playing in a treehouse with my cousin because I was up on the second story of my house and and I said, we should write about being in a treehouse trying to write the books, but you're always getting distracted drawing pictures of your finger or, the or doing something that's completely off task. And I'm trying to keep the show on the road. So I said, can you draw me a treehouse with it, like a bad treehouse with a bowling alley where balls are falling out of, out of the tree, killing people as they <laughs> on the head and, and a tank full of sharks. So anyone is in the, the, the treehouse could be at risk of falling into a shark tank and being eaten. I was still on the bad book thing. And, oh, and a marshmallow machine that fires marshmallows into your mouth whenever you're hungry. And we'll be the characters in the book. So he started drawing and he drew the most beautiful 13-storey structure in a treehouse. It was, like, architecturally beautiful. And I said, I didn't even know you could draw like that. You know, I thought you're just a cartoonist. He goes, oh, no, I'm a failed architecture student. And 
So out this came, and I was looking what he'd done. He'd done bedrooms and catapults and observation deck. And I said, right, this is too good to be bad. Let's call it the 13-storey treehouse. And the saga will be us trying to write our books for the Australian children at this point, because we'd never been uh, very well published or published at all outside of Australia. Um, and we'll be we'll be there trying to solve all our problems and having to write a book uh, because the publisher's yelling at us. And we'll solve all the problems, but we won't have written the book. But then we'll go, hey, the, we'll write the book about all the problems we just solved and get it to the publisher just at the last moment, just like kids getting their homework done at the last moment. And uh, and that just took off. So then we added another 13 stories to make 26. We recounted our origin story in that, uh, the 39, 52, and so all the way to 156. So, Adam, can you work out the pattern there of what it's going up in each time? <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? How, how amazing is that, though? I mean, like you said, you're just chilling with your mate and you, you you kind of brainstorming ideas. And then from that, am I right in thinking it was 2011, the first one? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, like now we're obviously 2022 and you've got this one coming out. It's, what an epic achievement. And you must have so much fun doing it alongside, like you said, the guy you've, you've worked with for so long. I mean, me and Lee, obviously been brothers all our life. We've been working closely together for about four years and I don't know how much longer we've got left. <laughs> you never do know how much longer you've got. But um, I think Terry and I have worked very harmoniously together because he loves it. He, uh, I give him permission to be chaotic and anarchic. Uh, in a way he couldn't get from any other writer until he met me. And obviously with him, I get his drawings, which we use extensively through the book. They're part of the storytelling process for me because I don't have to spend words describing this incredibly ever-expanding treehouse. I can just say, hey, Terry, double-page spread, uh, 78 stories, please. And uh, <laughs> that allows the reader to inhale the 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 story and get on so that I can tell a really uh, what I think is a complex story in as few words as possible so that there's it's accessible to the emerging reader but it's also rewarding for the the good um, accomplished already accomplished reader who there's plenty of detail there and Terry's drawings are so extraordinary I can describe a never-ending staircase um, well I can say never-ending staircase but he draws it in a way that kind of makes it seem oh, that's kind of reasonable. Yeah, that's like the impossible seems believable with his drawings. So yeah. it's been a match made in heaven. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's the initial, you know, brainstorming, the madness. And then my wife is the other crucial part of the team. She's a book editor and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Come on, <laughs> let's... That, that is that's too incomprehensible for anybody and I know you're you're both amused but that doesn't make sense to me so we have to uh, keep her happy and she absolutely transforms what we do so that it's really a three uh three author um creation by the end yeah and is there I mean how does it work in terms of obviously this is the 12th uh 12th 13th book did you say 12th 12th so did you have that from the beginning that it could ha have that many or has it been a case of 
just go it, you know, playing it by ear, depending on uh, how it all goes, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, the first one, 13 Story, was just the last, the most recent in a line of experimental nutbaggery uh, that we'd been doing. Uh, but in this one, we did make it a beginning, middle and an end plot. So it's a novel, uh, heavily graphic, sort of hybrid graphic novel, I think. Um, and I knew it was odd and unusual and I was very proud of it, but I didn't know that it would appeal to anyone beyond our little dedicated Australian audience. In fact, I didn't think it would make sense to anyone outside of Australia because they didn't know us as creators. Yeah. Um, but I think we'd softened the humour. We'd, we'd kind of got the perfect blend of fantasy, adventure and comedy. So there's sort of something for everyone. Uh, the girls uh, loved it just as much as the boys. The parents all came on board and said, well, we're enjoying reading it with our kids. And we're oh, shit. Um, <laughs> we're, <laughs> uh, we're not annoying anyone anymore. We're just, uh, this is really nice. Because uh, I'd been a punk rock um, uh, guy in, in, in bands and I, have no, I enjoyed being obnoxious. But uh, by the time we hit Treehouse, it was so nice to be embraced. And, uh, <laughs> I accept it. And it's, like that, a, it's like a so heel it's a little bit of it's like when you're a bad guy in wrestling and then suddenly the crowd starts cheering you you're like oh my god i've never had this feeling yeah. before <laughs> yeah we felt it was kind of odd for a little while because we just thought the adults you know the literary councils and all the people who put medals on books um they were never going to put a medal on any of our books and we kind of went, oh, this is great. We're like, we're like um, we can just play at the kids' table. We're like the silly uncles uh, at the party. <laughs> and we'll just entertain the kids with magic tricks and, and, and obnoxious noises. And um, this is great. And then, then Treehouse came along and we went, oh, people are watching. And, yeah, cool. And with the new book then, it's, it's got a sort of Christmas theme. To, is that the first time you've linked it to Christmas? Absolutely, yeah. Each book goes to a completely different place. They're self-contained. They always start with Andy introducing the characters and the 13 new levels, and then this this book's particular drama. Um, so we've had interspace, uh, um, you know, space battles in 130. We went camping on a camping adventure in 143, and now uh, we, I kind of, I kind of start conspiratorially. Oh, I feel like most readers, you're probably wondering uh, what we celebrate in the in the treehouse. Well, apart from chair up your nose day, uh, we, <laughs> we love Christmas, and in fact, we're getting ready right now. And uh, Terry's invented an endlessly expandable Christmas stocking, so Santa will be able to stuff uh, all the toys that we want. And we've we've asked for a very long list, um, but that's the plan. But nothing ever goes to plan, and. Yeah. Um, angry snowmen and uh, with, who we have to battle with a flamethrower. Um, Father Christmas ends up in the cloning machine. There's hundreds of Santa Clauses, but we don't know which is the right one. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so Christmas is in danger because of us. But... Right, right. And uh, big Christmas fan yourself? Oh, absolutely. We, uh, I have a large extended family at home, many cousins and uncles and aunties, and uh, that's always been the best day of the year where we all just get together 
And the strain of humour that I find funny is very prevalent in my whole family. So um, we actually did uh, one year instead of Christmas bonbon prizes, there was a pair of underpants on everyone's setting. So we all put underpants on our head instead of <laughs> the hats. And um, yeah, that was that was a fun Christmas. <laughs> clean. And, I'm guessing clean underpants because that would be. Wouldn't be wanting to eat my Christmas dinner with a, a yeah. pair of Lees, put it that way. <laughs> no, we have standards. We're, we're yeah. We're, we're Is it, um, whereabouts in Australia are you based? I'm down in Melbourne, down down south, down the more temperate part of Australia, so on the coast. And the weather is notoriously changeable in Melbourne and a bit colder than the rest of the country, so... Yeah. But during it's, Christmas, it's generally quite, well, it's summer. It's, it, it can be, well, it is summer and it can be super hot. You can have 43, 44 degrees Christmas days. They're not they're not anyone's favourite, but... Um, and you do, know, you go for, do you go for like barbecue? Is What's the traditional sort of meal? No, no. We we have roast <laughs> to, yeah. turkey and then the roast potatoes and... Yeah, there's still a strong Christmas. I mean, you if you ask someone else, they would probably say, yeah, barbecues. Um, we don't do the the pom anyway. Uh, but, yeah, there's still a strong tradition of that, in, in at least in our family, yeah. I spent a, I spent a Christmas in Melbourne, actually. I was best man at my uh, best friend's wedding, who he's, he's based near Melbourne. Um, and, we yeah, we played cricket on the beach. Just absolute, like, you know, typical yeah. stereotypical like australian christmas we did cricket on the beach then we went for this meal and it was like oysters as the starter and it didn't yeah. go down well it didn't go no. down well. it wasn't the typical you know what we were used to no gravy yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you can't please everyone um but yeah um christmas in summer is weird and you know the weirdest thing is that the Christmas lights thing has been catching on in Melbourne over the last 20 years. So yeah. people are decorating their houses with lights. But because it's summer, um, it's daylight savings, it doesn't actually get dark till about 9.30 at night. So <laughs> it, your kids, if you're unlucky enough to have little kids, they all <laughs> want to stay up to watch the Christmas lights. Yeah. And go, no, no, it's too late. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's the nutty tradition. I, I remember my daughter was living in Manchester for a while, and right. she said it all makes sense because it gets dark at four o'clock and the Christmas lights may give it a real cheery kind of feeling. But yeah, yeah us Australians, we, we adopt traditions without really thinking about it. <laughs> so um how much of like the you know the inspiration you put into your books comes from your time as a teacher? Because you say you were a teacher for so high school teacher for was it four years, you said? Uh, yeah, about four years all up. I, um, back in the late eighties, uh, I'd been in punk bands. I was the sing. I was nominally the singer, uh, but I couldn't really sing. But I loved writing the lyrics. And eventually, I realised, you know, as Clint Eastwood says, a man's got to realise and know his limitations. <laughs> and I went, My limitations are, are singing, but words are good. And so I, was, I started taking learn to write courses to try to develop it. And I also did a, a, a diploma of education to build on my 
literature degree. And suddenly I found myself in schools uh, meeting kids and assuring me that writing was uh, and, and books were, were boring. They were just for losers who had nothing better to do. And I went, you guys are making, and girls are making a big mistake. Writing is a particular pleasure. You can go anywhere. A book, you could collaborate with the author to bring it all to life. And you get a real deep um, connection with with a book that you love. And I said, you can have both. It's not either or movies or books or computer games or books. Have both. So I started writing stories specifically to provoke and entertain them and give them models of what they could would could do. So uh, that was a really nice conjunction of learning to write, having an audience ready-made in front of me um, with the challenge of we don't like books or stories yeah. or reading. Um, so I just set myself to write them stuff, which was pretty like the stuff I used to write for my friends in school you know, just irreverent nonsense down the back while the teacher was not looking. Um, that's a very pure audience, uh, your peers, and trying to just to make them laugh. And so that's what happened in, in, the, um, in the classroom. And I would, I would trick them into writing things like um, I'd bring a jar with something horrible in it, like it might be um, sauce, a jar of tomato sauce. And I go, does that look like blood? And they go, yeah, yeah. And I'd say, if this was really in the supermarket, who would buy it? And you go, oh, it could be a fast food for vampires. And um, and I'd say, great, put, make a label on the computer, write some instructions on the back and that's yours. And then they'd put, they'd bring to school all sorts of things in jars. And yeah. we would find an audience, a purpose, and I'd give them a little um, form so that they were playing and entertaining each other with yeah. words. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that that's the key to it, that sort of imagination and the creativity. And, um, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the English curriculum that we teach at the minute. It's sort of very much anti that when it comes to writing. There's so much more focus on the structure the technical aspects knowing what a uh fronted adverbial is this that and the other um so how for you how important is the the, the sort of imagination and creativity element not at the detriment of the grammar but no i sometimes feel it goes far to that way which is what leads to a lot of disengagement with children yeah, they're both really important parts of the equation. But as you're describing that, I'm just thinking that's the cart before the horse. You you gotta you gotta get a horse first. And to me, that's the the brainstorming, the purpose, having an audience in mind, which is not the teacher. Yeah. Um, I find if they're if they know they're writing for each other, they lift their game quite a lot. Mm. Um, there's a real purpose to it. But, yeah, I want them to, to explode with creativity. And then I want to go, okay, this is great what you've done. Now, if we're going to publish this, um, who, how do, what do we need to do to modify it? So we're going to have to spell it properly for a start. And um, that sentence doesn't sound great. Read, read that out and hear it if you can. Does it, could you say that better? So those are, that's the second part of the equation. But... Uh, I guess I learned to write with a book by Natalie Goldberg, an American poet, 
who wrote a book called Writing Down the Bones. And she said, you get the raw material on the page. Yeah. And to do that, you get the editor out of the way. So you, you write fast without stopping to a, a time limit, maybe five minutes. Mm. Topic doesn't matter. But you just write. And you write so fast that the editor can't go, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. Because that's what inhibits most of us, including adults. We, oh, I, I better not write that because that'll make me sound vulnerable or mean or all those interesting things that we actually want from a piece <laughs> yeah. of writing. The editor is protecting us. So I would do this with kids. I'd say three minutes. I want you to tell me a story about a tree. I don't any tree. You, you fell out of it. You had a tree house. You um, you carved your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend's name in it. Tree. And then they'd write for three minutes without stopping. And then I'd invite them to read their stories out. And it was the most beautiful um, sessions because everyone would have some funny take. Yeah. Uh, they have the right not to read it out, so I don't force anyone to do it. But they wanted to do it. And I would react to it. And I'd go, oh, man, that's so, so fantastic. And, oh, that reminds me of a story. So we were genuinely communicating and sharing. But my problem with these sessions was I had no way of assessing them um, because if I was going to be involved, I couldn't be there going, okay, read me your piece and I'll give it an A, a B, or a C, or I'll fail you. That kills creativity if you bring in the um, the, the judgment too yeah. soon. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's for me to begin with, it's play. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and what about your time as a teacher then? Have you got any sort of funny stories about some of the pupils you taught or... You know, we do plenty of features on the podcast about sort of cringy things that's happened to you as a teacher or weird sort of interactions you've had with parents or anything like that. <laughs> Any stories that come to mind from when you were? Uh, I guess I remember my first year as a teacher. Um, I wasn't that much older than the students. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's me and you, you know, we're again. <laughs> the fuddy-duddy teachers, call me Andy, you know, and I'd been warned against this, get them to call you Mr Griffiths, they'll get too familiar. Um, I was like, ah, what do you know? You've only been teaching for 30 years. Um, and so my, I had I had some very funny students in year nine. They're, they're really um, proactive, you'll say, and they, they took me as one of them. And then one morning I was riding my bike to school and they were all lying in wait for me with hoses and newspapers and they knew the route I took. And so they sprayed me with water. They hit me with newspapers on the way. And I got to school and I went to the unit leader and I said, what do I do? They're attacking me. <laughs> said, change, the, change the way you ride to school. <laughs> I'm just thinking now that you, you, you're soaking wet, covered in newspaper, you come in, write Mr. Griffiths on the board. The name is Mr. Griffiths now. <laughs> well, I did change schools after that first year. And I was like, right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. No more Andy. No more Andy. <laughs> um, well, I did find it. I did. All I had to do was find a way to establish that I was in charge. And I would come in quite nice and I'd look for someone to muck up. And the minute they're messing up, because everyone has a right to learn in this classroom. That's my only rule. 
um, when, when they'd muck up, I'd go, excuse me, everyone, uh, Andy, nice guy Andy is just going to disappear for a minute. And then do not do that. And I'd yell and smash the table and everyone would go, oh, oh, this guy can turn in on a dime. And so, yeah, that was my method of control. But my, my the main complaints I got from the students were, oh, not another creative writing activity, sir. Can't we do the book? And the book, <laughs> the the uh, the high school text that everyone was teaching from was awful. It yeah. was it was authored by woodwork teachers who'd been given English teachers for spares, and they didn't know what to do. So they just had an extract of a famous story, and then the the dreaded twenty questions. You know. Yeah. What was the narrator's name? Uh, what what were they trying <laughs> to achieve in this? How did, what what does this sentence say? And I loathed it because it was the opposite of play. It was just you know, trivia, like turning literature into a trivia contest. Yeah. And what was the point where you then went from there into the the writing side, or was there a bit in between? Uh, I was experimenting with the jazz with my students. I experimented with giving three sheets of paper and stapling them in the middle and getting them to write 12 page books, uh, like with a sentence on each page and a picture so that they, they were actually really easy for me to correct. Uh, I could get them to get those 12 sentences correct rather than a 500 word story because that's backbreaking even for a professional writer. I say all you have to do is write 12 sentences, picture on each. And um, so we'd make hundreds of little books. And I started publishing my own little books using the school's photocopier uh, <laughs> in, in, in my own time. I went, I've got a printing press here. So gradually I was self-publishing my material, putting it in, in record shops and um, bookshops and selling it at markets sometimes. Uh, and then I took leave without pay and just studied writing full time wow. and wrote full time for a couple of years uh, until I found my sort of comedic voice. Um, although I was looking for a serious voice, I was trying to be a serious uh, literary writer, but there was this mischievous voice that kept coming through. And I was like, oh, for goodness sakes, maybe I'm a comedy writer. And, and so I embraced that and. And, and where was, did that come from? Where did that comedy side come? Was that from your younger days as a student yourself? Yeah, I always loved to laugh. I always loved comedy and, you know, a lot of UK comedy like Monty Python in my early teens and then the young ones in my early 20s. And that all merged with music and rock and roll and punk rock and outsidery sort of art. So... I just love to laugh and I love the energy. And and I thought when I watched The Young Ones, I was like, I want to do that, but in a book and get that that energy flowing through to the reader. Yeah. Um, right, well, we've, we, we've run out of time there, I think. Uh, I know we've not got too much of your time this evening. So I want to say massive thank you. Last question, and we always ask all of our guests this question. If you could go yeah. back in a time machine and meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give them? 
Um, change your oh, route. To, change your route to school on your bike when you go. Uh, when you work. I'd say don't attack your teachers because <laughs> mean and it makes them <laughs> um, bad. Uh, no, I'd probably say um, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, because I was always writing or I was doing a joke magazine for my years, my grade six class. You know, I'd collect their jokes, type them up, print them off on the Fortiograph machine, which was this fantastic pre-photocopy machine, lots of methylated spirits. And um, I get to stand there inhaling the spirits, printing off my magazine and selling it back to the kids at school. So... <laughs> I was reading. I was reading uh, some good books, but a lot of horror comics and stuff that you wouldn't have picked as as great literature, but absolutely turned me on. So, um, yeah, I'd say just keep doing what you're doing, and um, yeah, maybe give the uh, punk rock a miss and uh, <laughs> go straight to go straight to story writing. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much, Andy, for joining us. Um, the book is out. Is it out now? It's out in two weeks' time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can get it from all good bookstores. It's the twelfth in the series. Um, so yeah, thank you, Andy, so much for joining us. Take care. And it goes up in thirteens. <laughs> it took me. Hey, well it took done. me forty-five minutes. <laughs> well done. That's amazing. Right there in the end. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you.